Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, Have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here for Move the Sticks. And, Buck, the first time we've been together since the, the draft wrapped up. How, how was the experience, man? Man, it was, uh, it was a lot. A lot to take in. Uh, you guys did a great job with the coverage. Uh the joint telecast between NFL Network and ESPN uh, went off, in my estimation, without a hitch. It was great seeing a, a diverse staff. I felt like you did your thing. Uh, you acquitted us well over here at Move the Sticks in terms of being able to uh, break down every player. Um, they came to you a lot, and I thought it was great that the preparation paid off. And so, to me, it was a fantastic experience. It was a lot of work. It was the culmination of a lot of work this spring leading up to it. But I'm glad that we were able to have the draft in any uh, state. And I think the virtual draft um, will lead us to make a lot of changes when it comes to the way that we conduct business uh, on our side, but also on the team side. Because I thought it was refreshing to see people around their families. I thought they were able to work smarter not harder and i thought it came off pretty pretty well well i appreciate that buck i know uh uh, we were talking about this the other day on the phone man what a uh what a help it is to do this podcast together because 
that whole uh, that whole phrase, right? It's biblical. Iron sharpens iron. When you when you get a chance to talk about these players and these teams for months, as we do on this on this podcast, and you scrimmage out why this works, why this fits, why this doesn't fit, you know, maybe I like this about a player, but you might see something different. It's like we have our own little uh, war room, you know. It's our own little personnel department, so you get to see things from different angles, and it, it does help, man. It really helps. I think it helps both of us as we kind of go through the process with with the TV stuff that we're doing. Um, to be able to see things in different angles. And that's why I, I thank you for uh, for all the help you gave me during this process. No, I appreciate it, dude. I, I actually think, um, you know, it's crazy, like, um, in the business for so long. I can't remember. I think my first year scouting was 2001. And so here we are in 2020, almost 20 years in. And I think I continue to learn more on a daily basis about team building, about scouting. And a lot of that is driven by our conversations and being challenged. And I think um, what's great about the podcast is like, look, our relationship is solid, but being able to have open and honest dialogue um, about players, being able to have disagreements and kind of work through those things um, for the listeners, I think that is terrific. And I think what happens is when we both get a chance or we each get a chance to kind of go on TV and talk about these things, man, I, I felt like it was old hat. Like I had notes with me, but I feel like we've talked about these guys for so long that I know them and that we know them. And I think it kind of comes out. And I think, um, you know, while you were on air, I'm live tweeting about the stuff. And I just, like, it was funny not having to reference notes. So did you be, have these conversations and tops, thoughts off the top of the head? And I think it uh, it should enable our, our podcast to be better because we do attack it. And it's not necessarily always about being first to hit the prospects in September and October, but it's about being able to get them right and being able to kind of explain uh, theories and thoughts and why teams may think a certain way about certain prospects and the like. And I think we do a really, really good job of doing that. I want to hit on a couple things and we'll go back through the first round here, but I want to just go through some, some, uh, some different scenarios that we talked about on the podcast and the run up to the draft. And I think at the time now, I think people got more comfortable with it as we ended up at the draft. But at the time when we were talking about some of these things, Buck, there was such pushback and people saying there's no chance. I want to go through a couple of those real quick and show you how I think we were able to identify some of these things early on in the process. All right. We, we talked about, we talked about the, uh, uh, the New York Giants going offensive tackle very early on in the process. And, and the pushback was they're terrible on defense. They have to get a defensive player. There's no way they can go offensive player. They have to go defense. So uh, and that ends up, ends up what, hap- what happened there. Um, I want to go through some of these other things we talked about. Uh, we talked about the Browns obviously going tackle. We knew the Jets having that discussion between the tackle and the receiver. We talked about Henry Ruggs potentially being the first wide receiver taken. Remember the blowback? There's no way Jerry Judy's going to be the first wide out, you know, or CeeDee Lamb that's between those two guys. And sure enough, uh, that's what we ended up having there. Um, we talked about Austin Jackson maybe getting picked higher than people think because he's a true left tackle, right? Uh, Isaiah, couple, yeah, we went about, to, yeah, Isaiah, Isaiah Wilson. Wilson. Yeah. Two, two guys we talked about. We talked about six, maybe seven offensive tackles going in the first round. And Austin Jackson and Isaiah Wilson were two of the more polarizing. But two that we said, like, look, I don't, I don't know if their talent necessarily warrants being picked where they are, but – what we're hearing is they're going in the first round. Yeah, and the last one I'll mention here was uh, we talked about it, and I, I know we, I think we both did it at mock drafts with Jordan Love going to Green Bay. And remember the pushback? I mean, if you could go back and listen or go back and look at the comments underneath those mock drafts at that time or go back and listen to what people were saying to us, like there's no – like no, that 
Look, when you get a chance, as you worked inside that organization, and you know how they think and operate, I worked with the member of their front office in Baltimore, um, and you kind of you get a feel for these teams, and you can say, like, this is – I'm not saying they're going to do this, but I promise you this is discussion is taking place. And we saw a lot of these things kind of unfold once we got through the draft. Yeah, it's funny because we'll, we'll get on the Green Bay thing, but, DJ, we've been around this enough to know that when we talk to our guys, either via phone call or text or – when we look back at their transcripts, when they're talking in press conferences, they let us know exactly what they're thinking. Brian Gutekas, when it came to the Green Bay Packers, in January, February, early February before the combine, he talked about the need to take a quarterback early in the draft, to always be ready for that position, to be able to get the quarterback early so you have enough time to develop him for when his time is, is up, when it's time for him to go onto the field. And so those guys did it. I think your call on Henry Ruggs was really, really early because we talked about the big two. A, is it C.D. Lamb? Is it Jerry Judy? Is it C.D. Lamb? Is it Jerry Judy? And I think from a short-sighted view, that conversation was due to, are these two the best wide receivers in that class? And what we're learning when it comes to wide receivers, man, we got to categorize them. And we have to look at the teams that are on the board. And we really have to know what they need because every receiver doesn't necessarily fit the role that a team has. And for the Raiders, they needed more juice. They needed more sizzle. And you can never underestimate the fact that we've talked about this repeatedly. You have to build your team to win your division. And when the team that lords over that division, the Kansas City Chiefs, they have a track team on the outside. You can either stop them or you can find a way to outscore them. And more teams are realizing that it might be better to try and outscore them because you just don't have enough firepower to deal with what they have on offense. That's such a great point. And I think when you look at not only what the Raiders did, look at all the weapons that the Raiders loaded up on. Look what the Denver Broncos did in this draft. Because it was the same thing I was thinking. Like, are they going to try and figure out how to slow down the Chiefs? And it's almost like teams have just said, look, we're good. That ain't going to happen. Like, we're not going to be able to stop these guys. We better figure out a way to outscore them and compete um, on offense. So they go Jerry, Judy, KJ, Hamler. Talk about building a track team. Uh, Albert O in the fourth round. I wasn't a huge fan of him, of his game, but he's a 4-4 tight end to put with another 4-4 tight end you have in Noah Fant. I mean, that that is a legit – That's one of the, that might be the one of the fastest offenses in the NFL all of a sudden in Denver. I mean, like, super fast. And we always talk about – like, what do we say with, with young quarterbacks? First year, put them on the field. Second year, find what they need to support them. First year, Drew Locke plays with whatever they have around them. The next year, they made a commitment to put more speed and skill around him. Jerry Judy, a skilled wide receiver. Then you talk about K.J. Hamler's speed, Albert O's speed, to go with Noah Fant. This is now a drastically different offense and you'll probably see Drew Locke play at a different level because he has more weapons on the outside as he matures as a player. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that division is going to be fascinating. The Chargers, they go out and get Herbert. They also trade back up, which I was thinking about this, working in the middle of the field uh, with the Chargers now, when they go out and trade up for Kenneth Murray, they can go, like say you get in third down, they can they can put Drew Tranquil, who I, I believe Drew Tranquil ran in like the low four fives, 
put him next to Kenneth Murray, who's another you know high four four, low four five linebacker, and you can drop Derwin down. Now you've got three guys with legit you know four four ish speed. And especially with Murray and, and, and Derwin, when you put those guys in the middle of the field buck underneath, that is a lot of length you got to work through. Which is, you remember when, the, uh, when Van Der Esch was coming out and you had uh, the Bills took Tremaine Edmonds, and these were these six foot four long linebackers. And it was, we talked about it, right? We said, man, in the middle of the field to have that length, not just the speed, but the length, and you got tight ends running down the scene, that length is huge. I just think it's not only now we know where these guys went. Now it's fun. And we can do this in the podcast as we go forward. We can look and say, okay, how are they going to use these guys and utilize them? I think that's a fun discussion. I think it's a, it's, it's a great discussion. And to go back to your point, uh, we've talked about it. Everything now is about speed, speed, speed on defense. Not as much about size and take on, but your ability to have enough players that can run from sideline to sideline. Because as much as we talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, you also have to cast your eye on the Baltimore Ravens. Because the Baltimore Ravens were the top seed. They were the team that everyone had to deal with. And the way that they play is different, particularly with Lamar Jackson on the field. I want to talk about Justin Herbert and the charges because you talked about them getting up. So much of what we talk about in the scouting process is fit and scheme. And the challenge on our side, not working for a team, we kind of have to deal in generals, generalities, uh, how guys are or whatever. Justin Herbert, to me, is a great fit for the Chargers based on what Anthony Lynn has talked about wanting to evolve to post Phillip Rivers. He, he had said in January, February, hey, I played in that Shanahan system that got Kyle Shanahan to the Super Bowl. We won two Super Bowls running the zone game and the complimentary play action game. To do that, you need an athletic quarterback. And it doesn't mean that you need an A-plus athlete, but you need someone who is good enough to threaten the defense on the perimeter, someone who can fake the stretch, come out the back door, run the bootleg. The other thing that you need is a solid and efficient play-action passer, someone who is good with the ball handling but is also adept at hitting those voids behind the second level of the defense. I've heard you repeatedly talk about Justin Herbert's completion percentage, his efficiency rating, off-play action at Oregon. It works. It is a perfect fit to be able to put him out there, to let him boot out, to then improve the running game with those big receivers on the outside. Justin Herbert really works. And despite whatever people may think about him as an A-level player, now that we know where he is, your imagination has to go to how are they going to use him? Are they going to use him the right way? I'm confident that the Chargers are going to use him the right way. And when he gets his chance, I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, 16 touchdowns, two picks off play action. That's a stat we kept using, you know, with Justin Herbert throughout this process. The other thing is, if you're kind of looking, and we'll move on to the other teams here after this one, Buck, but with the Chargers, I think you're going to see a mixture of the Shanahan scheme. You're going to see the wide zone with Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly, who they draft from UCLA, who I know you love, Buck. Um, those guys all fit that. They also have Justin Jackson uh, still on that roster. So they've got three guys that will fit that run scheme. You're going to be able to boot off that. You're going to go play action off that. And you're also going to see some design quarterback run game. You're going to see some oh, zone yeah. read and stuff with Justin Herbert that we didn't get to see a lot of at Oregon. You're going to see more of that with him once he gets on the field uh, with the Chargers. I want to get to these other quarterbacks in just a second here. But uh, speaking of teams, I thought one of the more interesting things, too, this is another point that we hit on. Um, I know we had talked about at the end of the first round 
the Baltimore Ravens potentially taking DeAndre Swift. And Ravens fans lost their minds. We oh, have the number man. one run team in the NFL. We've got a loaded backfield. Why would we take a running back? Well, guess what? When you run the ball as much as you do, you want more running backs, especially guys with big-time talent. So they didn't take DeAndre Swift in the first. What they did was they were patient. They ended up getting J.K. Dobbins in the second, but still uh, high draft capital on a running back position where there's plenty of depth. You can't have too many good runners when you want to run the ball more than everybody else in the NFL. DJ, here's what I want you to think about. I saw this stat that was floating on Twitter about the Baltimore Ravens and their running game. In the 22 starts... With Lamar Jackson at quarterback, the Baltimore Ravens running backs average 5.09 per carry. And so think about the guys that they've had. And and no disrespect to the running backs that they had, but Gus Edwards was just an undrafted free agent. Nobody really thought about it. Then you think about Mark Ingram. He's an older running back. So imagine giving them an A-level running back with Lamar Jackson still being the guy that is the main attraction. Man, J.K. Dobbins may average six yards a carry when he gets it, with everyone paying attention to the read option and Lamar Jackson potentially pulling, it is absolutely makes sense that you fortify strengths. And not only that, we've talked about how the Baltimore Ravens may have a tough time attracting wide receivers, so they always need to kind of fish in the young wide receiver pond. Devin Durvinay, another fast receiver to compliment Marquise Hollywood Brown. Now you got young guys for four maybe five years that you can put around them. And then you know what? You recycle them out and get more young guys. I just love what they're doing when it comes to their offense. I think they're one of the teams. They know exactly who they are when it comes to the way that they play and the people that they need to have on their team. And and I thought defensively what they did in terms of um, there, when you got Queen, Patrick Queen in the first round, to me, that and I, I'll go through this list here in just a little bit of the guys who were the best value picks by round, basically taking where I had them ranked and then who got the best value in every single round. That Patrick Queen was my was my top value pick there in the first round uh, to get him at 28. But somebody that's outstanding in coverage, what are the Ravens going to do? They're going to score a zillion points. They're going to play with the lead. We need guys that can rush. We need guys that can cover. And Patrick Queen, I thought, was the premier cover linebacker in this draft. And he replaces C.J. Mosley. They didn't have a a, a suitable replacement for C.J. Mosley. They didn't think C.J. Mosley was going to get the money that he got from the Jets. He leaves. They never necessarily fill that role. So now when you have a a guy like Queen that can go sideline to sideline, can run down the middle of the field, can make plays, um, it helps him. And you're absolutely right. They have to build their defense to play from ahead. When you're playing from ahead, you have to have rushers. You have to have cover guys. They have that. Um, in spades. You talked about their defense adding speed. What the Carolina Panthers did was unique, but Matt Rule has told us about this. He talked about it on the podcast when he talked about recruiting the Baylor. Speed, athleticism, get them on the field, think out of the box, and whatever. And so when you look at their draft, first two picks, they got to make sure they fortify the front line. Derek Brown inside middle of, middle of the line disruptor. Yatura Gross Matos, who reminded me a little bit of Jason Pierre-Paul in terms of long rangy pass rusher. Not necessarily first step quickness, but the length and the levers he gets home. But coming back because there was a little controversy in Charlotte when they bypassed Isaiah Simmons. To me, they got a poor man's version of Isaiah Simmons when they got Jeremy Chin, linebacker size, free safety with cover corner skills. He is that guy that you can put in the box to do a lot of creative things. 
man, give Matt Rule credit for a guy who is making his first run at this. I felt like he had a clear vision for what he wanted on defense, and I felt like they checked off a lot of boxes. Yeah, I, I was texting with him, Buck, uh, after that pick uh, with Chin, and I said, man, you got some speed. And he, he said, we're always going to be fast. I mean, that's, that's, that's staying to who he was you know, at every place he's been, and he told us a blueprint for him with the draft. And I think it brings up another interesting conversation, which is you mentioned Jeremy Chin kind of being Isaiah Simmons' light. And that's why we always try and mention, okay, this is don't think about one pick. Think about it's a package. Would you rather have the tackle, the detackle, and then the safety, or would you rather have the safety and then the detackle? And look at who's going to be there in that combination. And I actually think when they looked at it and said, man, I don't love the defensive tackles that are going to be there at this point in time, but that safety depth, which no safeties went in the first round, to be able to get a quality safety who's a little lesser version of Isaiah Simmons, they felt better about that drop-off as opposed to the drop-off from Derek Brown to who they would be looking at at that point in time in the second round. And that's how the draft works. That's how you play the game, man. Yeah, you have to have you have to have to a, a, a big perspective. You have to have the micro view and the, the, the macro view and the micro view. Another team that did that, the San Francisco 49ers. For so long, when we were mocking, we were like, hey, at 13, they should get the, the wide receiver. Henry Ruggs would be perfect. Well, what they did is they flipped it. Man, you know what? I can get a defensive tackle, Javon Kinlaw, who basically is DeForest Buckner all over again. He's younger a cheaper. Younger, younger, cheaper version of DeForest Buckner. And then they go back and get one of your favorites, Brandon Ayuk, who, in essence, is a playmaker in the same vein of Henry Ruggs. Not necessarily the same speed but another one of those wingbacks. And what's unique to, to, in my mind, about the 49ers, to be able to pair Brandon Ayuk with Debo Samuels. You talk about two guys who are wingbacks, half running back, half wide receiver, versatile players who are tough, physical. I mean, you talk about a team that understands despite getting to the Super Bowl, we still need to continue to get better. They got a lot better. And that's why I look at this uh, the draft from this standpoint, Buck. I might not like the player as much as the team might like him, but I can say this is – I know what they're trying to do. Okay, I get it. This is the identity of their team. They know who they are. They know what they're doing. This is where they're going. And that bleeds me to a team like the Packers, and, and we need to talk about the Jordan Love thing, which I'm okay with the Jordan Love pick. I don't mind the Jordan Love pick. I did not love the rest of their draft, to be honest with you. I, I just didn't. And I look at it and I say, okay, what are they trying to – come here how are they trying to build this thing what's their their goal I just I don't know what type of team they're trying to be I don't find the theme when I look through the picks you know what I'm saying see for for me I I kind of see where they're going and where they're trending I think there are a couple things at play I don't think you can ever uh, underestimate the scars that the two beatings that the San Francisco 49ers put on them left what did this 49ers do in those games they ran it down their throats. They dominated the game by controlling the game with the running game. Also, Matt LaFleur's experience in L.A., I think, is shaping the way that his vision for the Packers um, is. Even though they have Aaron Rodgers, I think what he's trying to build is a team that is a little more run-centric, that is not as much quarterback-dependent. A.J. Dillon, to me, is a, a sluggard, a big physical running back that can run, not necessarily on edges, but they can pound and then maybe play action. And as you think about this team going into 2021, 2022, without Aaron Rodgers, 
they're going to need to be able to alleviate the pressure on the quarterback. I think they're trying to kind of make that turn to be a little more run-centric, a little more balanced, a little more we can control and dictate the terms. And it's just different because for so long when we looked at the Packers, it's been all about Aaron Rodgers spreading and shredding, throwing it all over the field. So to our eye, it just looks different. Yeah, I guess it's two ways to look at it, right? I mean, you look at that game and talk about how they couldn't stop the 49ers in the run game. And I look at that game and say they need firepower. Like they don't have enough juice. Like they gotta, ha- they have to have more firepower on offense if they're going to get back to the Super Bowl. And then I look at what they did. You've AJ Dillon, who's a, he's got power and speed, but it's no factor whatsoever in the passing game. I know you have another back there. It's a that's a really good player that you can get the ball to in the passing game. But I, I'm just not big on any running backs I'm bringing in that aren't going to be involved in the passing game. I don't ever want to take a snap with a running back on the field that is not going to be a threat in the passing game. You're playing with ten guys. Uh, if you're throwing the football. So that one, I, I just don't understand. You get an H back into Guara, who's a good player, but I, I don't see, you know, it's just, is there enough? I, I don't think they have enough juice to get by the teams they have to get by offensively. I thought this was a draft they could have loaded up on some firepower and they didn't do it. Yeah, and I think that, that may turn out to be true. I, I think we can't forget uh, Matt LaFleur came from Tennessee, and when he's looking at highlights every Sunday, he's seeing Derrick Henry, a guy that he coached, go crazy for 1,500 yards. I think sometimes we kind of get caught up into reminiscing about what we once had. And I think some of that might have played into the role of, hey, this is why I want A.J. Dillon, because I remember coaching Derrick Henry. He didn't do this for me, but man, the next year, it really, really exploded for him. So maybe they got that. And thinking of toughness, one of the teams that we had talked about with more toughness, the Indianapolis Colts. And what they wanted to do on offense. And look, I'm a little jaded by um, my relationship with Frank Wright, having knowing him, but also growing up in the Carolinas and watching Frank Wright play quarterback at Maryland. His coach at Maryland was Bobby Ross. And the way that they played at Maryland and winning three conference titles, they ran the ball down people's throats and they were very physical. Frank Wright, when you hear him talk about his team, he always references running game and toughness. The two guys that they got on day two, Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, there's no doubt about the toughness and physicality that they want to bring. And then with Phillip Rivers, play action, play action, play action, because the best way to preserve an older quarterback is to let him throw off play action. Don't have him dropping back on traditional dropbacks 40 times a game. Use the threat of the run to make life easy for Phillip Rivers. Yeah, I love the Pittman pick. You know, my comparison for him throughout the whole process was Mike Williams, who, uh, you know, Mike Williams, Philip Rivers had his Mike Williams. Now he's got another version here with uh, with Pittman. So uh, that was when I asked, like, Dan- Danny Penner can end up being one of the steals in the draft out of Ball State, who they got in the fifth round, uh, who's got a chance to be a really good uh, interior player, really athletic, continuing to invest in that offensive line. Um, I-, I like what they did there uh, with the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Another team... You know, with the teams that had all the picks, right? Miami had a ton of picks. Minnesota had a ton of picks. Jacksonville had a ton of picks. Minnesota, to me, their first three picks, day one starters, plug and play. Justin Jefferson, I think uh, Diggs caught 63 balls last year, Buck. I think Jefferson will catch more than that this year as a rookie. Uh, oh, I, yeah, I, I agree because I think Gary Kubiak is going to have an even tighter system and an even clearer vision for how he wants his offense to go. You talked about those first three picks being starters. I think they got another good pick in James Lynch down there in the fourth round. Um, he is a worker bee. 
Um, a guy who has good hands, works nonstop, does a great job of getting to the quarterback. I think he fits the build of what they want to do. And it's one thing to have a lot of picks. It's another thing to turn those picks into players. I think the Minnesota Vikings will turn those picks into players. Yeah, I mean, Gladney's going to start day one. Um, Ezra Cleveland, to me, with the athleticism in that zone yeah. scheme. I mean, when you have those two tackles they have right now with O'Neal and Ezra Cleveland, those guys are both big-time athletes, man, that can get lateral. And you have Bradbury's probably, if not the uh, one of the most athletic centers in the NFL. And when you with Dalvin Cook, I mean, again, I keep coming back to how, forget however you rate these players. Like, this fits. I know what they're doing. This works, what they're doing in Minnesota. Yeah, it certainly, it certainly does. It's funny that you bring up Dalvin cook because Dalvin cooks makes me think of cam Akers, and it also makes me think that the la rams got they're going to get back to doing what they did those early years and even though they let todd Gurley go man i wouldn't be surprised to see cam Akers just explode as the rams running back and i know people are talking about oh they got daryl henderson yeah but i'm gonna tell you very quickly it's gonna be apparent that cam Akers is that guy when they get to running the zone system Cam Akers is a perfect fit. And then Van Jefferson being a polished route runner. Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson. Um, I know they talk about Josh Reynolds. Three of the four of those guys are precise route runners. When the Rams were at their best, it was the route running, complementing the run game and the play action passing. It works. I, I see it. I can see how all the moves kind of line up for the Rams. I was talking to Les Snead before the draft. Uh, I think it was the day before. We were going over a bunch of players and who could be there in the second round. We went through all the running backs. And he you know, spoke glowingly about Cam Akers and just how physical he was. The fact that you know, we talked about the lack of talent in front of him, who he was running behind. So he was, I think he was very excited when he was there when they picked. But we also talked about Jefferson. I told him he reminded me of Cooper Cup you know, because of the similarities there. And he brought up a great point. You know, we didn't have 40 times on a lot of these players, Jefferson being one of them because he couldn't run at the combine because he was hurt. They went back through the zebra technology, the GPS technology. Van Jefferson ran the fastest of anybody at the Senior Bowl. You remember they tracked those guys the whole week? Wow. Van Jefferson's speed on that, on that zebra technology, he ran the highest MPH of any player on the field. So now you've got an elite route runner, who's the best, I mean, one of the best route runners in the draft. I would say probably Jerry Judy would be one, and I would say Van Jefferson probably two as a route runner. So the question was, you know, how fast is he? We saw Cooper Cup go to the Senior Bowl and light everybody up down there. Nobody could cover him. Remember that? And now they go back and they find a similar player who nobody can cover at the Senior Bowl and using the technology that's out there to fill in the gaps with the speed. And that's something, again, we've been talking about for a long time. DJ, you, you, you uncover something that we've talked about. How long would it be before those things made their way into the scouting world? Uh, people talk about analytics and technology and all that other stuff. Utilizing the zebra technology, because how, do we, how are we technically supposed to grade speed on players? Oh, what's their playing speed off tape? Well, the Rams tapped into that playing speed off real action by having the technology to be able to do it. And there is something about the way a guy plays, how fast he plays, as opposed to him running a static 40. To be able to get that information on Van Jefferson, that is outstanding. One thing that I want you to touch on, because I know uh, you know the Eagles as well as anybody, um, I'm going to throw out my theory on the Eagles and why they took Jalen Hurts because I felt like how we said something in the post-draft uh, press conference that made sense to me. Howie, 
uh, when they asked him about Jalen Hurts, he said, look, for better or worse, we are quarterback developers. We are a quarterback factory. Uh, we just kind of know how to develop quarterbacks. I took that as, man, that, that makes a lot of sense because you and I have both said repeatedly, the quarterback position is the most important position on the field. We should probably invest heavily in that position. The Philadelphia Eagles won a Super Bowl because of their heavy investment in the quarterback position when they had Nick Foles and those guys behind Carson Wentz. Doug Peterson and I played together in Green Bay. Mike Holmgren always liked to bring in young quarterbacks to develop. Andy Reid was on that coaching staff. He goes to Philly, utilizes that same philosophy. That philosophy helped them turn A.J. Philly into a second-round pick that they traded away to Miami. Helped them turn Kevin Cobb into a second-round pick that they traded to the Arizona Cardinals. This makes sense to me because regardless of whether Jalen Hurts becomes a starter or not, which we don't expect, if Jalen Hurts is good enough to be the QB2, well, if Carson Wentz is hurt, we've seen the Philadelphia Eagles win a Super Bowl with their backup quarterback. If he never has to get on the field, we've seen the organization develop a quarterback and use him as a trade piece. I understand it's rich in some people's minds, the second round pick, but if he leads them to a Super Bowl or if he's traded for another commodity, it's a win-win for me. It's all about the development in the position. Yeah, a couple different things there, Buck, and I've heard some, some of these uh, same thoughts, and I'm with you on part of it, not with you on the other part of it. So the, the part I would disagree with is, look, if you take a guy in the sixth round, as you, what the Packers would do back in the day, and you develop that kid and you spin him off for a second-round pick, maybe even a first-round pick, right, if everything goes right, great value. But investing a second-round pick to then not have him play much and then turn around and trade him for a second-round pick, like I, I don't, you know, there's not as much value there. They took him in right. the second round, so that's the only thing I would disagree with. The thing that does make sense, though, is if and and this is not from this these folks inside the organization that we all know well, but just look at it. If they had a it, Josh McCown was on one hamstring, and Josh McCown is uh, you know has had a great career as a backup. If they had better quarterback play behind Carson Wentz, they would have won that playoff game last year. So, so they wanted to upgrade that. They've done it in the past with money, right? They go out and pay. They paid Chase Daniel a bunch of money as a backup quarterback. Obviously, famously, Nick Foles um, made a bunch of money and took him to a Super Bowl. So they've had no problem investing cash. And I think what they decided was the creative way to invest in the position but save money at the position because you, you've already paid Carson that $100 million deal. So we don't want to have a – a quality backup is going to cost you north of $10 million, they're not going to pay that. They're going to get the cheap rookie deal. So as we talk about building a team on a rookie deal, well, if you've already paid the money to your frontline guy, we don't want to have to also pay top dollar for a top backup. So it's a way for us to feel like we have a quality backup at cost control so that the, the position, the quarterback position, does not carry so much financial weight inside your organization that costs you opportunities for other players. So I think that makes sense from that standpoint. It was we need a quality backup. We don't want to pay him a ton of money, and we want to be able to uh, to get through two or three games a stretch if we have to if something happens with Wentz, which has happened throughout his career. So now the way that we need to look at quarterback, uh, the quarterback position for every team, total compensation for yes. the position. Yes. When you have typically you have a rookie playing on a uh, a cheap deal, the backup is commanding significant money. So now that we've paid Carson Wentz, flip it 
So now we need to have a young, cheap rookie that can play. So that completely. But you also want the talent. That's why it comes with having to take him higher because you still want the talent. You don't want to pay the price. And the other thing, and I think people are are missing this. Jalen Hurts is not Taysom Hill, and when people make that comparison, like, "Oh, we're gonna put him on the field," and he's going athletically, he doesn't play like that. I love him as a runner. I have the tremendous amount of respect for Jalen Hurts in terms of what he does in the quarterback run game. Taysom Hill was an A-plus athlete. 4-4 speed, 39-inch vertical, super explosive, ran for 12, almost 1,300 yards at BYU when he was healthy. Undrafted free agent. Give the Saints credit for carving out a niche for him. Jalen Hurts is not that guy. And I know Doug talked about wanting to do some of that runaround stuff. That's fine. But I don't think we're going to see Jalen Hurts being an H-back, a fullback, and all those other things. I just don't think athletically he's built like that. I think that you'll see packages with him at quarterback, especially when you get down in the red zone. Be able to use him on some zone read stuff, still throw the football, move him around, do different things. But I don't really envision him coming on the field as a slot or you know, blocking as a lead back, as we've seen with, with Taysom Hill. But I do think you can put together a package of plays to get, get him up on game days and get him on the field a little bit at times. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's it. Um, and speaking of, because I brought up Taysom Hill, um, team building, quarterback position, the New Orleans Saints invested a ton of money in Taysom Hill. Two-year extension, $21 million, 16.5 guaranteed. Jameis Winston turns down more lucrative offers, one that may have been from the Pittsburgh Steelers, to go to New Orleans. When you think about the Saints quarterback room, what does all this tell us about their quarterback? Yeah, I mean, we, this is the exact opposite of what we just talked about, right? You have you have an expensive starter, you have a cheap backup. They have three quarterbacks, and I haven't seen what's going to happen with Jameis with the deal. I'm sure it's uh, limited money. Yeah, Super limited cheap. money. Just Very to get, cheap. It's a it's a it's smart move by Jameis, by the way, to just say, hey, this is like a what do they call it? A gap year? Uh, going a gap yeah. year? Just go learn gap for year. a year. Take the year. I'm going to go be around the smartest people I can be around. I'm going to watch how Drew Brees works. I'm going to watch how Sean Payton teaches. I'm going to learn how they study film. Like, this is a gr- brilliant move. To go make an extra $5 million in one year to go someplace else, not worth it. I mean, this is about a you know a reset button for Jameis Winston, and I think it was brilliant on his part as well as the Saints' part. It's a free look. Something happens to Drew Brees. If you don't feel comfortable that Taysom Hill can be the full-time guy, you've got somebody with plenty of experience with all the weapons they have there. You can get through a large chunk of games with Jameis Winston. And we now, and also I feel like Buck, we've talked about Jameis versus Cam. I would have been more inclined to go with Jameis, even though I know Cam's MVP and has played yes. at a higher level at, at times during his career. But when you factor in age, health, and what he can be going forward, I think I wasn't surprised Jameis was the first one to go. He's twenty five, maybe twenty six years old. I think people need to understand Taysom Hill is thirty years old. He'll be thirty years old when the season comes. I think for Jameis, it's a perfect move. It's a move that makes sense. If he's looking at this as a long-range, and, and it's a long-range thought, man, I go, I can get with Sean Payton for a year, maybe two years. I'll come out of it at 26, 27, and I saw what he did for Teddy Bridgewater. I am going to play in a system that is probably a little more Jameis-friendly than the ones that he's played with, with Dirk Cutter, who wants to throw it down the field. But... The more you throw it down the field, the more likely you're going to have the interceptions. Bruce Arians wants to push it down the field. I think it's a great move for him. I'm still not convinced that Taysom Hill is their backup. It seems like a lot of money for a 
utility player, I don't know if I would want to pay $16 million and a half guaranteed for a guy that only has 13 career passes and some yards, but I don't know if it's enough. I think the story is better than the, the, the actual production that they get out of him. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, Buck. I, I want to switch over to Jacksonville, who we touched on real quick. Um, man, I think they did a good job of, of putting some athletes on the defensive side of the ball. They traded a lot of good players away from that team that was in the AFC Championship game. It's a totally new group. And we'll see what happens with Ngakwe, if he's going to be there or not next year. But when Henderson, although he doesn't love to tackle, is is a very gifted cover man. And then you come back with Caleb Von Chason, who's just a really good athlete, right? He was wore the 18, so you get some high character. You've talked about them wanting to put a bunch of good kids in the building. They did that. Then you get Chenault, um, who's very athletic. Hamilton from Ohio State, who's a good upfield rusher, who's got more upside. Josiah Scott, who I think is a day-one nickel. Quarterman, who's a captain leader of the Miami team. Um, I think I think this kind of goes back to what you were saying about they wanted to change the feel and the look of this whole organization. And I think that you find the theme. When you look at their draft, another one where I think you can kind of find the theme. Yeah, I think you can find a theme. And when I look at their draft, it reminds me of what Buffalo, the Buffalo Bills have created. Great call. Great call. Culturally. Hey, man, you may look at us and say that we're not the most talented team, but what we're going to do, our Bs, our B-plus players, are going to play like B-plus players each and every week. And more importantly, we're not going to have a lot of problems. The locker room is going to be harmonious. We're going to get along. Everyone's going to be on the same page. I felt like this was Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone recapturing the locker room and reestablishing the culture that they want down in Jacksonville. All right, I want to go through, through the rounds here, Buck. If you, I don't know if you have it on your computer, if you can kind of pull up um, some of these picks. Because I'm, I'm going to go through and give you my best value pick for every round. I'll just go through the seven players just real quick. And then I just want to give you the, the floor here as we have about 10 minutes left to, uh, to go through some of you guys you really, really liked in fits any round, but just guys you really liked. But here's – I had Jack, our buddy Jack uh, Andre, do this for me. Take my top 200 list. And then take where these guys were picked and then give me my best value. So first round, Patrick Queen was the linebacker from LSU to the Baltimore Ravens was my best because he was my 15th player. He went 28th overall. Uh, we talked about that one already. Second, second round, A.J. Epinesa. He was my 26th player. He went 54th. So that was a plus 28 value. I thought he got nicked up a little bit because he didn't run well at the combine. If he had a pro day, I think he would have cleaned that up a little bit. People talk about he's a tweener. Buck, and we can get to the rest of this list in a second here, um, but you always mention Ozzy's uh, nugget on production carrying over to the next level, and you'll see this on this list here. I, I'm, in, I'm into that, man. You get sacks in college, you get sacks in the pros. A.J. Epinesa beat a lot of good tackles. He beat first-round tackles in this draft, and he got punished in this draft. I thought that was a great value for the Bills. Excellent value. Terrific player. Blue-collar worker, productive, does all the stuff that you want to see, and he does have that, that, that production that you talked about as a sack artist. All right, so we get to the third round. Zach Bond, um, he was my 34th player. New Orleans got him at 74. They traded up to get him, I believe. So that's plus 40 on the pick value. Now, teams had some concerns with him medically, so that's why he ended up sliding a little bit more than probably he should. Another one with production. you know. So you've got somebody that's undersized but athletic and productive. I'll bet on him. Uh, fourth round, um, this was kind of a fun moment in the draft, Buck. I, I, 
we I've used this comparison with you all the time, and you're not going to laugh at it because we talk about it all the time. But I got a hearty laugh out of the Antonio uh, Gandy Golden going to the Redskins. Uh, you know, with my comparison, I think Nabil, you can roll that. It got a, it got a little bit of a chuckle from Wingo on this one. But what he does, picking balls off the heads of defenders. I was looking for a comparison for him. I just wrote down Billy Madison at recess because he looked like he was playing with little kids out there. <laughs> that may be the best player comp in the history of the draft, Daniel, Daniel Jeremiah. You should leave now. Leave on the high note. But, Buck, he was, my, he was my 79th player. He went 142. So that was a plus 63 value. And another one who ran 4-6 flat. He doesn't separate a lot, but there's guys we see guys every, look deandre hopkins he's not deandre hopkins but deandre hopkins doesn't separate a lot if you if you're a contested catch guy you you win those 50 50 balls i'm not going to get hung up on the fact you're not getting a ton of separation no and I, I think that's the thing are you comfortable with guys that can make those contested catches he's shown that he can do it and his upside is through the roof i'm, I'm willing to gamble on that all right so let's keep the theme alive here the fifth round my best value pick my 75th player Bradley and I was the 179th pick. So that's a plus 104 value uh, in the fifth round by the Dallas Cowboys. Goes back to what we've been saying, production, production, production. This guy has it. Goes to the Senior Bowl. They couldn't block him the whole week down there. Ran slow. If you look at his numbers and what he's done, very similar to a guy like Marcus Golden. And Marcus Golden is a player we've seen uh, that's had double-digit sack years in the NFL. He doesn't do it with speed. He's just got unbelievable hands and effort. And in the fifth round, are you kidding me? I mean, I thought that was a great value. Mm-hmm. Absolutely a great value. To be able to get that at that point in the draft is, is not what you expect. And it's one of the reasons why you have to really set your board and just know someone's going to fall to you at every round. Last two here, sixth round, Hakeem Adeniji was my 92nd player. He was the 180th pick, so that's a plus 88 value. Played tackle at Kansas. We saw him kick inside at guard um, at the Senior Bowl and did a really nice job. And this, again, I want to go back to something that you've said and DB coaches have said. We want a, we want a secondary with four corners. Maybe you know if you're five corners on the field, ideally, and then you'd put a couple of those corners at safety, but you've got five corner ability players. Well, on the offensive line, I want five tackles. I want five five guys that have tackle athleticism, tackle feet, and can pass protect. Hakeem Adeniji is probably going to kick into guard, and some of these athletic interior rushers, he's going to be able to hang in there against them because he's so athletic. Yeah, I mean, look, that that's what you want. Like, when you're picking in these stages, like the fourth round, developmental players who have a couple of traits that could enable them to really outplay their draft status. And so I get it. It makes sense. Um, I love the analogy you talk about having five tackles on the field because I don't think we think about the offensive line being an athletic position. Your tackles are different athletes typically than your guards. Last one, seventh round, my best value pick, Geno Stone, the safety from Iowa. The Baltimore Ravens took him. So the Baltimore Ravens had my best value pick in the first they had my best value pick in the seventh. Um, that was a that he was my 123rd player, 219th pick, plus 96 value. Somebody that is instincts, instincts, instincts. Uh, so the testing might not blow you away, but safety is an instinct position, and that's why to me I thought this guy was a great value. But I, I'm sure, Buck, if you had your list, you would find guys. You would find you guys that you worked for that you have the same type of a value because that's how your brain was programmed. Yeah, so it's funny. Like, in just going through the list, I, I can't necessarily say the value because my list was only, like, a top 100. But I can tell you the picks that I liked where they were selected. Tristan Wirfs going to the Buccaneers where he went made sense to me. Uh, I thought he was a better player than 
being the 13th or 14th rate player. J.K. Dobbins going to the Baltimore Ravens in the second round makes sense to me. I thought he was a much better player than that. Logan Wilson. And I, I am mad at myself that I was late to the Logan Wilson party in terms of talking about him. DJ, 400 tackles, 10 interceptions for inside linebacker is ridiculous. Um, Harrison Bryant going to the Cleveland Browns in the fourth round. This is a guy that we talked about maybe being uh, the best or second best tight end to get him at that point made sense. Alton Robinson going to the Seattle Seahawks in the fifth just because of the energy, the motor, the sack production. And people will look at that last season where he only had four and a half sacks. He had 10 the year before. It works in Seattle because Pete likes instincts and athleticism over everything. It makes sense. I'm going to go back again to the Seattle Seahawks because this is a kid that I know in terms of being a route runner. Freddie Swain from Florida. When your eyes are looking at Van Jefferson, I should tell you that Freddie Swain might have been the the more ballyhooed recruit coming in. He has some stuff to him when it comes to stop-start quickness and route running ability. He could be a good one. And then the Buffalo Bills getting Dane Jackson from uh, Pittsburgh. I like, man, in the seventh round, you're trying to find guys who are devalued, guys who you're thinking would be off the board in the fifth round. I thought Dane Jackson would have been gone by that point. Good pick for them. Overall, I think what we saw, the teams that have a formula and a clear plan for how they go about doing their business, we understand like what their traits and prototypes are. They typically tend to clean up. And those are the guys that we talk about. Oh, you can find a play in the fourth round? Yeah, if you know exactly what you're looking for. And I think those teams knew exactly what they were looking for. Uh, last thing from me, Buck. Um, people always ask, like, how many players are on a draft board? And we've talked about 150 has kind of been the magic number for for the teams I've worked with. The Patriots are notorious for having like 80 guys. Yeah, 75, 80. That's it. So I, if you look at my top 150, right? So most teams, most the majority of teams have 150 names on their front board, which is their draft board. I had 126 of the 150 were picked. So that's why you know. Well, there's how do you have 255 players drafted? No, you, you almost every single year you will, your last pick will be a player that's one of your top 150 players. So that was just kind of an interesting nugget there to, for people to get a look at it. So it's funny, DJ. Um, I couldn't publish the list, but in thinking about that, what I did is I made a top 100 list, and I. I, I worried about like, man, should I just cut it at 75 and just cut it? And these are the 75 guys that, that I love. And I'm not, I'm not putting anybody on this list that I don't love. But I was a little leery and scared of being that tight with it. But I do think like next year, I think I'm going to keep it tight like that. And I think I'm subscribed to the theory my buddy always talks about in and out. I'm not going to put a whole bunch of menu items on the board that I know that I ultimately, <laughs> I'm not going to eat. Like, look, I want I want a double-double with cheese. I want fries and a shake. And that's all I need. And I think when we keep it light, I think that is the best way to look at the draft board. Well, it was, uh, this was fun, man. We're going to have another episode this week where we can jump into some of these other topics. So much to talk about, Buck. But, man, you did such a great job uh, in the run-up to the draft and covering this thing. Um, and it was Again, I keep coming back. This is why I love this podcast. It's my favorite thing that we get to do uh, is to do these discussions because we can go wherever we want. It's just a discussion that we would have on the phone if we weren't doing the podcast, and uh, it's just a lot of fun, man. No, it was a lot of fun, man. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to chatting even more as we're able to really step away from the draft 
and study what took place after being in it so closely. Uh, we should have fun the next couple of days. I want to encourage everybody, uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. Tell a buddy. Uh, we have a bunch of videos, nfl.com slash MTS video, uh, youtube.com slash NFL podcast. You can find it there. Uh, I want to thank Mark. want to thank Nabil. want to thank Arjuna. Uh, Ryan Bartlett's done a lot of work with us in the run-up to the draft as well. Uh, so thank you guys so much for all of your hard work, and we'll catch you next time. This has been Move the Sticks, presented by FedEx. We'll see you next time on Move the Sticks. of restless nights at lisa we know good sleep is essential for mental physical and emotional health from memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home for a limited time save up to 700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows go to lisa.com iheart for an additional 50 off mattresses and select goods exclusions apply see lisa.com for more details this is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.